So uh, we're, I'm going to try to remember what I, a couple of things I put in there. Okay, so the um, chili cook-off, chili, not chili, chili, yeah. chili, uh, chili cook-off is um, next weekend. And uh, so if you, I don't know, is anybody entering into that? I did I'm, last year. You did, are you doing it this year? No. No, okay. I'm a judge. You're a judge? Okay. So, Bob, you're, ju you're bringing us? Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to do like I did last year and make a pot, but also a judge and qualify my pot. Well, that's awesome. So, um, okay, so, hey, Bob, it's great to see you guys. Looks like you guys hanging right here. Oh, it's probably a hearing aid. Yeah, I think it is. Sorry. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, I don't remember what this I'm trying to remember everything. Um, oh, turn your clocks back next weekend. Ahead. Ahead, sorry. Ahead. Spring forward. Yeah, that's right, spring forward. And, um, yeah, take another hour away from you. So anyway, so that... Um, Continue, just, just lift up, I did, I did want to just remind, and I know you do this already, it's not like you need to be reminded, but just pray for the Arnies, you know, just another few days, and just remember them, um, and I had, I did speak with Betty uh, on Fridays, she's doing better, she had been able to get some sleep, uh, there's still some, I mean, obviously, uh, well, one of the daughters, the daughter that lives in Holly, the one that lives in North Carolina, they've already gone home. Uh, but our other daughters uh, checking in on her as often as they can. Hi, David. Good to see you. Um, so, uh, so I remember that, and I just pray for Sharon. We always keep Sharon on our prayer list, so it's good to see Sharon and Bob here and David. It's been a it's been a long time. Thank you for coming. Thank you for making the effort to be here. We just praise yeah. you for that. And um, and so Bob and then Bob Klein. We're praying for Bob Klein. It's, it's, yeah situation going on with him just keep him before the Lord and uh, uh, Judy Steele has been sick for a couple weeks now she has I think uh, bron bronchitis um, and so she's just in a lot of pain I've had bronchitis a couple of times I, I know how much it hurts and um, so she's she's being treated and so just keep her in prayer and uh, pray for Bud and uh, uh, something about was it your your daughter? That's it. Pray for and what's Bobby. Bobby, yeah, Bob and Bobby. What's going on with her? If you don't mind sharing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, she has endometrial cancer. Mm -hmm. She'll meet with an oncologist on March the sixteenth. Okay. And I guess they'll be discussing surgery and stuff going. Forward. Okay. Well, let's be praying for her for Bobby. Uh, is, her, is her last name? Jablonski. Jablonski. Okay, Bobby Jablonski. Jablonski. Huh? Jablonski. Sorry. Um, and um, marriage conference is coming up uh, here in, in, uh, on the 18th and 19th. You can still register to attend the sessions only, or you can call the hotel and try to make your own reservations if you want. But but our we had to give them a, a room count, and so that's kind of closed that portion of of the uh, marriage conference. And there was one other thing that was on that list that I can't remember now. Um, cleaning? Well, hmm? Was that cleaning? Nope, it wasn't cleaning. Okay, good. <laughs> I did need to get that back on the list again. If I had my notebook, I'd probably have all of that. But, um, and um, I thought there was something. Oh, um, Easter. That's what, Easter. We are doing an Easter sunrise service again. And uh, so that's, you know, if, if you guys were participating in that last, last was the last year we did it? Year yeah. before. Whenever we did the last one, Easter, we did the first time we've ever done a, a sunrise service. So that was right out here, the sun coming up. It was a beautiful summer, summer sunny Easter Sunday morning. So we'll be doing that again. I, I don't know all the final details, but you, you can know that sun, the service will start at sunrise. So just the name, hence the name. So... Uh, okay, so that's pretty much everything as far as that I can recall off of that. And I really, again, hate that when I don't have all my notes. So, uh, But that's okay. We'll get through it. Uh, turn over to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verses 10 to 18. That's where we're going to be reading uh, for prayer. And um, 
there was still one more thing. I cannot remember what it was. Yeah. That's what it was. One other thing real quick, guys. Uh, so Vision Conference is coming up real quick uh, in April. Uh, April 3rd to 6th, I believe, are the dates. And there's a sign-up board in the lobby now um, for um, bringing in uh, food for the meals that we'll be having. Um, so uh, I don't know, I think they got it all divided up on charts there. You can take a look at that, and if you want to be able to participate in that or you know, bring a dish or something like that, you can sign up for that. That was the other thing that was on my list. So thank you for reminding me that. Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting in verse 10. We'll read down through the verse 18, then, then we'll pray. The preacher says, Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new, it hath been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come, and with those that shall come after. I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to, to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. There, uh, that which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. I commune with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate, and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is vexation of spirit, for in which wisdom is much grief, for in much wisdom is grief, is much grief, and he that increases knowledge increases sorrow. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this church that uh, loves you. Thank you for, for uh, the love that comes from you to us, each one of us. We just praise you for, for those things. Lord, we read this passage where we're reminded, Lord, that there's wisdom that we can seek out of your word and there's wisdom that we can seek out of the world. Lord, help us to identify those that are vain things and those that are, are va valid things. And pray, Father, that you would guide us and direct us at all times, that we would seek out, that we would search for the truth that is there, Lord. Help us to see it and to know it and to, uh, to apply it in our own life. And we just thank you and praise you for that. I do want to pray for, for Betty Arney, Lord. I just, uh, just continue to lift her up and her family, Lord, at the, at the passing of, of dear friend and servant, uh, Gwen. Uh, Lord, uh, I know that heaven is better now with him there, although we're, we're not better because he's gone. And we pray, Father, for, for all of us to be able to address that. And we pray, Father, for Bob Klein. You just lift him up to you, Lord, and uh, just ask you to work in his, in his life. Pray for uh, Bobby Jablonski, Lord, um, Bob, um, Bob Bickett's daughter. And, Father, I just want to pray. Uh, for all the needs that are out there, I know I can't remember them all, but I just lift them up. But thank you for bringing uh, the Balkans to class today. We just we're we're uh, we're ex just excited that they're here, and thank you for for their faithfulness to you and to your word, even in trouble troublesome times. We just praise you and thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, we uh, thank you for uh, the word, Lord. Uh, we that in this chapter that we just focused on, Lord, that. The things out of this world, whether it be riches or material things, don't matter because our life can take a turn at any point in time, Lord. But what's always there is you. Through the, through the good, through the bad, through the questions, Lord, that we, uh, our hearts should always be, uh, have affection for you, Lord, that <clears throat> you are always uh, molding us into the people we need to be to have your love. Lord, to see the to see the world through your eyes, Lord, that um, we need to be careful in our words, in our deeds, and just everything that we uh, wake up to this world, Lord, is, is against us. And uh, Lord, we just uh, all the infirmities that our people are going through, Lord, uh, you know what they are, and we lift those up to you, Lord. And even the spiritual infirmities, Lord, that people battle with every day, 
that uh, they just direct their love and their and their questions to you, Lord, because you will give an answer, whether we like it or not, Lord. Uh, but we just praise you and glorify you for the prayers that have been answered and for the people that are here. Lord, so we just thank you and love you in your name. Father, as we conclude in prayer, we just are reminded so much, Lord, just how much um, you you you, over, you oversee us, you you care for us, you take care of us, and we're thankful for that. And we're thankful, Lord, that we have the privilege of coming before the King of the King of the Universe, the Creator of the Universe, and put, and lay our petitions at His feet, knowing that He hears our prayers even before we've uttered them. You know what we are praying, you know what we need, and we're thankful for that. We ask, Father, that you would show yourself mighty. In, in the lives of the, of the lost world. We pray, Father, that you would reveal uh, yourself through us to them, that we might be able to see the world change. And we praise you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so we're, uh, we're in Psalm chapter 57 this morning. And um, as, uh, just as a reminder, kind of where we're at, we're Psalm 57. And we've been, uh, we've been looking at several psalms that are uh, specifically written by by David, uh, but there are there um, there are a special kind of psalm. If you recall the word, the, the description of the word. Um, if you read in fifty seven, um, verse well before verse one, there's a there's a uh, an, an, a a superscription statement, and it says to the chief musician, Al Tactic. Mictum of David when he fled Saul in the cave, and so we're looking at another mictum psalm. Uh, and that word that we, we talked about this the last couple of weeks. We've been been in this series for a while. We talked about this uh, couple, for the last couple of weeks that a mictum psalm. The word mictum means to engrave or to make it permanent. It kind of like uh, etching it in stone or, or carving it into something solid that's going to be permanent. And uh, uh, so this word means to make permanent. Make permanent the words of this psalm in particular. And when David wrote the psalm, his intention was, these are, these are permanent prayers. I don't know about you, but, and I think I mentioned last time we were together, that I had uh, a series of verses in Psalm chapter 119 that I would pray every day. I'd get up in the morning and I would use those as prayer points, kind of where we got the idea of doing prayer points, prayers even now. But I would use those verses and I would pray those verses back to the Lord every 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 morning uh, for for several years, and and it was a, it was just a really good time. Um, and so uh, David made he he did that, but he put in put his words on. I don't know how he made them. He carved it in stone or what he put it in, but he made it permanent. And it was his prayers. It was his personal prayers, really. And that's what this is about. You know, this is where it's from his heart. Uh, so it kind of gives us a sense of being permanent, this word does, which is what David has desired, that the psalm would become a permanent reminder to himself and to others of the condition that he found himself in and the, and the commitment that God had made. So David is writing these, this series of psalms because God had made a commitment to you and to me. He made a commitment to, that we would be preserved. And, you know, so if you want to know strength in, in, in the promise of eternal life, these, these kind of, they don't specifically address eternal life in every, in every passage, but, but it's, it, it gives us a comfort. And I've been, I'm preserved. And David is saying, I'm preserved. I, this is my comfort. I can trust God because I'm preserved and I can be, I can be comfortable in that. So he wanted these psalms to be permanently marked and identified with a special content found in them. And each of these psalms, while they're personal psalms or David psalms, and they're direct, they touch on the idea of resurrection in some form as well. So all of that, because that is what our, com our comfort in, 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 um, in knowing that we have eternal life is that we are going to resurrect. No matter what happens, we will resurrect. And so, I, as just as a reminder, I think, well, I wish it's in your notes, but, and it is, but your notes are at home, so, sorry. But here, just as a reminder, uh, Psalm 16, we looked at a couple weeks ago, that was the promise of preservation. 
Psalm 56, we looked at last week, is the power of preservation. And Psalm 57, where we're at today, is the, the permanence of preservation. And then 58 is the justice of our preservation. Why are you just to know that you're preserved? Why, is you, why, why can you be justified in saying, I have eternal life? And so that's what that psalm is going to talk to us about in 58. And then Psalm 59 defends our preservation. And then Psalm 60 is the fact that we have rest in our preservation. So that's a series that David had written. And so <clears throat> there's another word, and I read it, I kind of skipped over it, I tried to pronounce it correctly, that's in that superscription there at the beginning of the psalm. And uh, I want you to take a look at that just briefly. Again, he says, To the chief musician, Al Tasik. And again, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, I don't speak Hebrew. But, but um, that, the, the word does mean something. It means to destroy not. To destroy not. And, uh, and so this psalm, not only, not only so, so it's a mictum, it's a permanent psalm, it's a psalm that talks about destroying not, which is a directly indicator of a, of a preservation. If you're not destroyed, you're preserved. And so, <clears throat> so you also notice he says there's one other thing that's interesting there is there's a historical time stamp on this passage. So you can know basically what was going on in David's life when he wrote it. Notice that he said there, a victim of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Y'all remember that story? Okay, so that's what's happening. When he wrote this psalm, that was what was taking place. That's the situation there he wrote about. If you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24 real quick, I just want to read that because I want to get some. I want to get what's going on in David's heart and mind um, at the time that he wrote this this mictum. Psalm chapter twenty four. First, I'm sorry. First Samuel chapter twenty four. We'll just read the first eight verses. We have studied this passage in the past, but it says in chapter twenty four, First Samuel, verse one. And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took three thousand chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks in the wild, of the wild goats. So he's in the mountain area. And he came to the sheep goats, by the way, which was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. Now basically, if you recall the story, David and his men were hiding in a cave because he knew that 3,000 men were chasing after him. And they went and hid in the cave. And Saul brought the 3,000 men and he, needed, he wanted to take a nap or go to bed for the night or whatever. And they said, Saul, for your protection, for the king's protection, we want you to sleep in this, in this cave and we'll sleep outside. All the 3,000 men will sleep outside. They didn't know David was in there. He had no idea. They just needed to have a place for him to sleep where he would be protected uh, inside a cave. They just, they just didn't know the cave was occupied already. So, so David goes, or Saul goes in, he you know, covers his feet, he's getting ready to take a nap, and it goes on and it says, um, verse 4, And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, and thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily, and it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him, because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master. The Lord's anointed to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words, and suffered them not to rise up against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave, and went on his way. And then David arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried unto Saul, saying, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, and David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. And then the whole rest of the story goes on without getting into it. I just love this passage. I love that book of, of the Old Testament. But, but basically David, you know, his men are saying, Look, God brought Saul to you because you can kill him. You should go kill him now. And so instead of killing him, he took a... Uh, the skirt of his, his garment cut off the bottom of it and to indicate that he could have, his life was in David's hands. And then David was like, I can't believe I did that. That was so wrong of me to put my hands on the, on the, on the anointed. Remember, Saul was anointed by God to be the king. It wasn't, wasn't the right choice, but it was a, 
God was allowing the people's choice to choose their king. They chose Saul, and God said, okay, told Samuel, let him go ahead and have that. We'll, we'll straighten it all out later on. And, and that's what he's doing at this point. But David's like, I'm not going to kill this. He's, he's the anointed. I'm not going to touch him. The lesson for that is not in the, in the psalm, but let me just give you the lesson here. Uh, don't, speak it, my, don't speak against the leadership that God has anointed. Uh, any leadership. That's why you know, Timothy uh, is told that very thing to, to uh, not, uh, not bring a railing accusation against an elder and so on. But anyway, so that's what this is going on when he wrote this psalm. Probably because his heart had smote him and he's like, I hope I'm preserved still. I just messed up. I touched the Lord's anointing. But anyway, back to Psalms, chapter 57. So I'm going to look at verses 1 to 5 first, and I want to look at the place of refuge. So 57 begins and says, Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me. Can you imagine after, after his put hand has been laid on the anointed, the king of God, God's, God represented it, he said, O God, please be merciful unto me. O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto, the, unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions, and I even among them, and I lie even among them that are set on fire. Even the sons of men, whose teeth are spears, and arrows in their tongue are a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. You kind of get the flow of what he's saying based on what he's where he was just at in the cave. And so he's, he's saying, God's, you know, let's make sure that we have the permanence of preservation. Uh, and God does take care of that. So the first thing, there's some things to point that I want to make here. David gives us an idea that there's more to refuge than just hiding in a cave. Because we all can hide. We can physically hide. But, you know, God's there. God smotes David in the heart and said, hey, you shouldn't have touched him. And David's like, ah, I shouldn't have done this. And so God's always where we are, no matter what. We don't need physical. But we do need... Um, some more refuge than just hiding in a cave. And so God, or I'm sorry, so David, over the next several verses, gives us five ways that we should seek out refuge in God. How do you see God? Let me give you the first thing. In verse 1a, the first part of verse 1, be merciful unto me, O God. The first place of refuge that you will be with God is in asking God to be merciful. Ask God to be merciful. During this time of exile, David pleads with God to show him favor, to be gracious. And it's something that we do every day, even if we don't realize it. David had an opportunity to slay Saul while he slept in the cave. But David knew that he needed mercy because of laying his hand on God's man. He needed that mercy. And he said, be merciful on me. So, okay, he's in a cave and he's being protected from the 3,000 men. But he can't, get, he can't get away from God. So he's saying, be merciful to me, God, for I, I made a mistake. The second place of refuge is in the second part of verse 1. He says, be merciful unto me, that's the first thing, for my soul trusteth in thee. Um, <clears throat> in the shadow of thy wings I will make my refuge. And that's the second place. The second place of, of refuge is being in the shadow of God's wings. So obviously the place that we should always strive to be is in God's protective arms, or in this case, His wings. We should, be, we should find ourselves in the, in the protection of God, but too many times we turn away from God when things are going bad. We don't seek His protection. We, we run from His protection. But we should, we should seek out after it. So, under the shadow of God's wings. So whenever we have a problem... Our place of refuge is under the protection of God, but that's not where we go a lot of times. We go out to the world. We talked about that a lot last week. That we end up going to the world. The image, of course, this picture that he's painting under the shadow of the wing, of his wings is a, is a picture, I think everybody can imagine, or has probably seen on TV or maybe in real life, you know, the tree in your backyard, the mother bird putting the wings out over, over the babies, protecting them. And keeping them in safe. And that's the concept, that's the picture that, that David is writing about. He wrote about this at length. Now, we won't take the time to read it, but if you turn back to Psalm chapter 17 for just a moment. 
Psalm chapter 17 is, is a, a little bit of a lengthy verse here. Let me make sure I'm in the right place in my notes. Yeah, look at 17 verse 8. Keep me as the apple of thine eye, hide me under the shadow of thy wings. In time of trouble, we should, we should hide under God, under his shadow, under his wings. If you compare, let's see, I'm going to, yeah, okay, let me get, let me get my mind straightened out. Okay, one other place as a refuge, we won't turn there, but if you're familiar with Deuteronomy, um, Dave, or Moses giving the, the, second, uh, the second giving of the law, in, in chapter 32, there's what's called the Song of Moses. And in the Song of Moses, Moses says in, uh, in verse 11, he speaks of an eagle bearing her young on her wings. The same concept, the same picture, even there. Moses is trying to tell the people, "You will find your protection." I know we just we're just we've been wandering the wilderness and everything, but we will find protection if we just stay under the wings of God. And that's Moses' point. David took that same point. He wrote about it in Psalm 17, and then he talked and wrote about it again in Psalm 30, uh, 57. And so it's interesting. But doctrinally, it's a picture of a doctrinal picture. The wings teach us. Now, God will make a way for us to escape persecution. That's the point of this victim, is that it's about the, preser- the permanence of preservation. And so he's telling us, doctrinally, that God will make a way for us to escape persecution, and it's only through him that we can find true preservation. So you will never be preserved by any other force outside of God. Uh, no matter what we do in the world, no matter what we do in our lives, in our families, and stuff, there is no guaranteed perse- uh, preservation. I said persecution. I meant preservation. Sorry. Um, and so we find that preservation under the under the wings of God, and that's the that's the doctrinal thing. Is that, that literally He's going to take us up? He's going to lift us up uh, to escape persecution, so that we're preserved. Uh, and only through Him can we find that true preservation. We're, so here's a couple things just to keep in mind about preservation. We're 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 removed from the destruction by God's wings. The destruction is coming. Exodus chapter 19, verse 4 says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. So the concept of being of eagles' wings, being protective, of being under the shadow, under the protection of God in his, in, in his arms, goes all the way back to Exodus when God freed Israel from Egypt. So God said it. Moses sang about it, David wrote about it, and David made it permanent. That's, that's a pattern that you see just in the Word of God as uh, trying to under, help us understand what he's teaching here. So not, we're removed from destruction by his wings. We are also strengthened by the power of his wings. Isaiah says in chapter 40, verse 31, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I think this is a very familiar verse. They that uh, wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. That they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. So we're lifted up by the wings of eagles. So this concept of this protection under the under the arms of God is is throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament as a picture. So we're protected by these wings. We're removed from destruction. We're strengthened by His power. I wish you had your notes. I'm sorry. We're, we're, we're removed from destruction, we're strengthened by His power, and we're protected by these wings. Revelation, chapter 12 and verse 14. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half time from the face of the serpent. We're lifted up, we're protected, we're strengthened, and we're removed from destruction. It's a powerful thing. If you get outside of God... Any of those three things can happen. You can be destroyed, you can be weakened, and you certainly will not be protected. If you get outside of, if you get outside of under, being underneath God's arms, get out of His arms and get away from His protection. You know, I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, sometimes you see you know, little kids coming to their mom or to their dad, you just put your arms around them and you hold them. They want, they want that sense of protection right then and there. They want to be feel that, and then they're, like, they're fine, okay, then they turn and they go play and they're, they're cool. 
You ever, I mean, when your kids were growing up, or when you were as a kid growing up, you did it. Every one of us did it. We ran to mom, ran to dad, got his arm, got their arms wrapped around us, felt security, felt protection, felt deliverance, then often we were playing again. And we run and go play. In many places in the Bible where truth is mentioned, the word truth is coupled with another descriptive word as well. And I have a list for you. I'm just going to go through them kind of quick because we're, uh, we got started a little bit late. But in, in your, well, tell you what, I'm just going to read them because you don't have a note to, I'm sorry. I feel bad about that. Okay, Exodus 34, verse 6. We find goodness and truth together. Um, that's Exodus 34, 6. I will email this out, this, this list to everybody later on. 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 6. King, kindness and truth are linked together. In 2 Kings chapter, chapter 20, verse 19, peace and truth is linked together. In 2 Chronicles chapter 31, verse 20, right and truth are, mixed, are linked together. In Isaiah 25, verse 1, faithfulness and truth is linked together. In Ephesians 5.9, righteousness and truth are linked together. 1 Corinthians 5.8, sincerity and truth are linked together. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, which ought to be really familiar, grace and truth are linked together. So I went through all of those really quickly because you didn't have a notes. And, and I, I didn't intend to turn to those verses. But here's the point. All of these phrases, kindness and truth, peace and truth, righteousness and truth, faithfulness and truth, sincerity and truth, grace and truth, they, they picture one thing. They describe Jesus Christ. And so we find that it, <clears throat> in, in being in the place of refuge. So what verse 3 is saying, and I haven't turned to verse 3, let me go back to Psalm 15, uh, 37. Psalm 57, let's let's read verse 3. This is the third place of refuge, knowing where our salvation comes from. He he, he shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah, God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. So that's actually the third place of refuge uh, that we have. So the first place of refuge was in asking God to be merciful. The second place is in the shadow of his wings. The third place of refuge is knowing where salvation comes from. It's not in ourselves. Salvation doesn't come from ourselves. We can't earn salvation on our own. We can't make salvation happen. We can't do anything. Um, but if you look at it, uh, it's not in us, but it does come from heaven. Notice in verse 3, uh, the first half of verse 3 with the last half of verse 3. The first says, He shall <laughs> send from heaven. And the last half says, He shall send forth His mercy and His truth. And so, in many places in the Bible where truth is mentioned, it's coupled with another descriptive word, and that's why I went through that list already. Kind of jumped over my notes a little bit too fast. So what verse 3 is saying, and there's the third um, place of refuge, verse 3 is saying what David prophetically is declaring, that he he doesn't need to do anything to Saul, because God will send the Savior, Jesus Christ, who will put all things and all people under his feet. And then there's verse 4, Psalm 57, verse 4. This is the fourth place of refuge. He says, My soul is among lions, and I lie even, um, even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their, and their tongue a sharp sword. The fourth place of refuge is knowing that we can look at our God for preservation. We can look at Him directly and see Him, and see that preservation. Even when confronted with overwhelming knowledge that David's life was is but a moment, uh, he's just a moment from death. He could have been he could have been found out very quickly there. You know when they, I don't know why the the leaders of the of the three thousand men that were under day under Saul didn't go in and search out the cave, but for some reason they didn't search out the cave. Now you would think that they would have. You know that's how close David was to being discovered. If he had been discovered, he would have been executed right there on the spot. 
So he would have been, you know, as the verse says, he, he, my soul is among lions, and I lie even among them. So he's hiding in the cave, laying on the ground. Uh, and so the sons of men, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue is a sharp sword, they want to kill him. And he said, I can just look at God and know that I'm protected. Their, de- their desire, the world's desire, is to drag us into hell from where, we're, from where they are themselves condemned. See, David is not giving us, he's giving us a very vivid picture of what the enemy desires to do to David and to us. The enemy desires to drag you into the pit of hell. He wants to before you get saved. You know, once you get saved, you're protected. You don't have to fear that anymore. Our enemy is like a lion, though. Remember what Peter said in Peter, 1 Peter 5 8? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking him whom he may devour. So, you know, but you don't have to fear that lion if, you're, if you have the preservation through salvation that God has given to us. You don't have to fear him. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 25 says this, There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst of thereof. And then verse 20, Psalm 22, verse 13. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. Our enemy is like a lion. In, all, in, in every shape, form, and, and behavior, our enemy is like a lion. They're ready to chew us up and destroy us with their mouth. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Stephen is preaching. And he says, when, these things are, when they heard these things, after Stephen's message, they heard these things, you know what it says that they did? They were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. No. That, those are, that's a lionistic behavior. To gnash on them with your teeth. Uh, so, so, so those people that were hearing the truth being preached by Stephen in the book of Acts, they were so angry at what was being said that they turned into a lion in behavior and gnashed on him with their teeth. I mean... I can't even imagine what that looked like, you know, in, in reality, but that's the descriptive of it, is that they fell on him, they threw him to the ground, and they bit him to death. That's, I mean, that's pretty, that's just wild. That's, that's an animalistic behavior. Barbaric, animalistic, definitely, definitely just <laughs> strange. But there's one more place in verse 5, uh, that's a, a place of refuge. And this one, we can, so we can take the picture of those ravening on him with their teeth, and go back to verse 5. He says, Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. You know what he's doing in verse 5? He's praising God. Amen. So that's a, that's a place. You know, when things are going bad in your life, when things are hard, when things are difficult, the one thing that you typically don't do, is you don't stop and praise God. But if you did, imagine how that would calm you on everything that's happening in your life. Just say, you know what? I know this is bad. I know I have cancer. Praise the Lord. Amen. I know that Gwen is in heaven. Praise the Lord. See, when we turn to praising God at the face of the disruptive and destructive things that are happening in our life, when we can turn and praise God and thank God for what He's doing in our life, it changes our, our mental focus. It puts God in the center of everything. And we realize, you know what? I'm preserved. I may have cancer, but I'm preserved. I know that every one of us will meet death in the end, according to Hebrews. According to man, every, according to uh, once to die, then the judgment. I can't remember the right verse. Appointed unto man once to die. Appointed unto man. That's the part I was, I was missing. Appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. So everybody's going to pass away, unless they're here when the rapture comes. But in either case, you're going to heaven if you're saved. So we exalt God is to set Him above everything else. To exalt God, to praise God, is to set Him above every situation, every person, everything that's happening. We're not to... That would include, let me say this, that would include setting Him above our enemies. Because so many times we put our enemies above God. Oh, they have more influence in my life than God does. They have more effect on my life than God does. And God says, no, that's not true. David says, I know that's not true. That's why I'm praising God. And so 
We will not fight our enemies. We will not. We are not to fight our enemies. We are to exalt God. So a lot of times we want to go. We want to go to battle. We want to go to war. We want to. We want to go after the person seeking revenge. Where's revenge at? Revenge is in heaven. And revenge belongs to God. He will, according to Joel, chapter 3, verse 16, He will destroy our enemy. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem and from the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of His people and the strength of His children of Israel. Now, I want to point out real quick, uh, back in verse 2, let's back up to verse 2 for just a moment. The verse says in verse 2, I will cry unto God the most, cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. So there's a special name here in verse 2. It's a little bit different than what we talked about last week. Remember we talked about Elohim and El and so on. And so it says, I cry unto God most high. That whole phrase, God most high, is the name that, that is being uh, uh, called out here in this, pa- in this passage of Scripture by David. Uh, it says God most high. That's the Elohim dash uh, Elion. Elohim is God. That's God. The, the word God, Elohim. And then most high is Elion. E-L-Y-O-N. Elion. And what that means is God is the creator. He's the most high God, the creator God, the supreme ruler God, the final authority. God most high. There's nothing more high than God. God is the most high. You can't get higher than God. You know why? Because he sits at the the precipice, the top, the, the the pinnacle of everything. He sits at that point. To Elohim, the most high, preserve me, David cries out. And then we get into verses 6 to 11, and we'll try to wrap this up kind of quick here. He says in verse 6, They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me in the midst whereof they have they are fallen themselves. Selah. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up my, my glory. Awake psaltery and harp. I will myself be will wake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the pe- the great nations, for thy mercy is great unto the the heavens and thy truth unto the clouds. But thou, Lord, but thou exalted, O God, or be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. And so, what we have here. So, we first we have. Um, the place of refuge, and now we have the praise of God. So this is an enhanced, expanded version of just praising, praising the Lord. <coughs> but notice verse 5, that be thou exalted, O, God, o Lord, I can't even talk. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens, lest thy glory be above the earth. And look at verse 11. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens, let thy glory be above all the earth. He's bracketed things. He's actually said this twice, which is important. Um, he brackets this or he contains all of these things within our relationship by praising God for everything. We start with praising God, we acknowledge who he is, and we finish by praising God. What David is doing is he's reminding us, reminding himself, verse 6, there is an enemy. We know the enemy wants to destroy us. So why do we act so surprised when we are attacked? In verse 6, David confidently knows that the enemy has prepared a trap and he may be bent under it. Verse 6, they have prepared a net. They have digged a, a pit before me in the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. He's saying, you know what, that could happen to me. I could fall. I could fall, I could fall to them, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to do the best I can not to. Even if I do fall to them, I'm preserved. I have the permanence of preservation. His place of protection is in God. Notice that he knows and he and we know from prior chapters that our enemy will entrap himself and fall into his own pit so long as we fix ourselves on God. It's like they, they, they make a, a pit of quicksand and they walk on it trying to lure us into it. They fall into the quicksand. We are under the wings of God being held fast and we don't fall. Verses 7 and 8 
He tells us to fix our position totally on God to accomplish the mission that we're about. Seven, seven says, my heart is fixed, O, o God. My heart is fixed. I will, is your heart fixed today on God? I mean, is it like always on God? Sometimes we waver. Sometimes we say, well, you know, I know that there is a God, but he's, he's left me. He's, he's ignoring me. He's not listening to me. He's not doing what I tell him to do. Oh, let's, let's cancel that part. That's what sometimes people do. Verse 8, Awake up, my glory. Awake, psaltery and heart. I will, I myself will awake early. Why? So he can be with God. And so, um, he says to fix your position totally on God to accomplish his mission. Awaken within yourself. Awaken the sense of the word of the word of the, the sense of the word is a stirring up or a rising up. That's what he's trying to say. Rise up, stir up yourself, be focused on what what is truth and what is the mission. And then in verse nine, he talks about the mission. I will praise thee, O, o Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee, unto thee among the nations. It kind of sounds like he's almost going on an evangelistic effort. I'm going to sing praises to the Lord, to the nations. I'm going to. Uh, praise the Lord to the nations. I will sing unto thee of the among the nations. I'm going I'm I'm to make your name known among the nations. From a simple opportunity to share your testimony to the opportunity to go to other nations like on a mission trip, um, we must demonstrate our salvation. We need, we need to demonstrate our salvation to other people so that they can see it, so they can know that it's real. Philippians 2.12 Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean work out to get saved. But if you are saved, then work it out. Show evidence of it. Do something that you need to do. Do whatever you need to do so people can see you're saved and that they should want that as well. We're fixed because of the mercy and truth that we talked about in verse 3. And then he wraps up in verses 10 and 11, our confidence in God. Verse 10, he says, For thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and thy truth is unto the clouds. And then again, Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. So verse 10 speaks of the greatness of his mercy. For thy mercy is great. So it's not just that he's got mercy. It's not just that you just got mercy, but you've got great mercy. you got great, you know, I can show mercy. But it's not as great mercy as God shows. Anybody can be merciful but not as merciful as God is merciful. You know, uh, there are probably some people, you know how we think sometimes, you know, those people just need to go to hell. And God says, those people need to be saved. See the difference between my mercy and their mercy? You know, my mercy and God's mercy, I should say. So the greatness of the mercy, we are assured that God's mercy, which mercy is simply loving kindness, goodness, faithfulness, that kind of thing. Psalm 36, if you just go back one, a couple of verses, Psalm, Psalm 36, verse, um, verse 5. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reaches unto the clouds. That's how high his mercy is. His mercy, see, my mercy will, won't barely get off the earth. His mercy is above the clouds. That, his mercy is that high, it's that strong, it's that, it's that intense. It's a, it, it, it's a great meaning that God's mercy is mighty in our life. It is from the exceeding high source, higher than the clouds, that mercy comes from. And then in verse 11, he says, See the mercy, see the majesty of God. He just repeats what he said in verse 5. In David's mind, God is so worthy of praise and exaltation that he has to say it twice. That's how much David trusted and believed in God. He, he had to say it twice, not just once, but twice, that God is to be praised. Go back to the chapter here. Be thou exalted, O God, above thy heavens, let thy glory be above all the earth. He said that two times. David is confronted with the realization that while Saul sits on the throne, and David is destined for it, this is a cool thing. But all, all things happen. Saul is on the throne in, in, in Israel. David is destined for the throne. God sits on the high throne. All of that's happening right now at the same time here. The question that we should ask ourselves as we finish this up is, what throne are you after? 
What throne do you respond to? Do you respond to some, a throne like Saul, who is just a picture of the world? Or do you respond to the throne that you're going to sit at because you know you're going to heaven? Or are you going to respond to the throne of God where he sits because he's never going to vacate that seat? That's, a, that's an incredible thing. So we're finished up here on the psalm. Next week, um, we'll get into Psalm 58. I think it's 58. Yeah, 58. And uh, I'll try to make sure I have handouts. That list of all those verses that I gave uh, that link different things with, with truth, um, I, will, I will just send you all that as an email, just so you have that list anyway. And uh, I'll... I'll um, Maybe I'll just send you the whole handout. Let's just do it that way. If I'm going to send you anything, it'll be easier. It'll be a PDF file. So, all right. Well, let's pray. We'll be out of here. Again, Vulcans, thank you for being here. My, my heart's just really happy for you guys. You did not bother the class. the truth of it. We forgot what time Sunday school. I'll tell you what, man. The fact that you're here, you encourage everybody. It's an encouragement to see you guys. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your love. Thank you for this passage of Scripture, Lord, which shows us the permanence of our preservation, that we can be assured, Lord, that we are going to heaven, that we are not going to be just left to the, to the gnashing of teeth of the world. We don't have to fear that, Lord, because you are exceedingly above all of that. Your mercy is, is high. Your grace is high. All of that comes from you because you are higher than anything. You are God most high. And we praise you for that. And we ask now, Lord, for your blessing on the rest of the day. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, one real quick thing I'm going to say a while before I turn off the phone. You guys, I don't know if you know, but if you're in, I think most everybody's in the Facebook group for Real Life Class. You know we have a Facebook group for Real Life Class. We do. So if you don't know about it, you can join it. Just track it down. But I always post the notes on there. So... No. Anyway, just so you know, and just so people that are online know well. All right, well, God bless. Love you all. See you later.